start with questions to Prime Minister Dr Luke Evan. Number one, Mr Speaker. Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, today we will see the second reading of the Holocaust Memorial Bill. For decades, survivors like the late Sir Ben Helfgott showed the extraordinary courage to share their testimonies so that we would never forget. I hope the whole House will unite today to get this memorial built and put those testimonies at the heart of our democracy for generations to come. Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Dr Luke Evans. Thank you, Mr Speaker. For three years since I've been elected, I've been campaigning to improve health facilities in my community, and I'm pleased to see significant investment in Leicestershire with £14 million for a CDC in Hinckley and part of £20 million, uh, billion pounds for hospital improvements for the LRI and Glenfield. But I'm looking for a hat-trick of health in Hinckley. And what I'm looking for is a day case unit. The money is already there. It's tied up in red tape. I've raised this with the Health Secretary. Would the Prime Minister look to see what he can do, and would he come and like to open the CDC next year in Hinckley? Well, Mr. Mr Speaker, I am uh, delighted that since its opening last month, the Hinckley CDC has already delivered, I believe, over 300 additional tests to the local community. My honourable friend will know that it is for the local health authorities to determine how to allocate the NHS budget in their area, but I have no doubt that he will continue to make the case for them for a day case unit in his community. We now come to the Leader of the Opposition, Keir Starmer. Yeah. Mr Speaker, can I join your tribute to John and wish him all the best on behalf of the House and join the Prime Minister in his comments about the Holocaust Memorial. I'd also like to wish Muslims across the country a happy Eid. And Mr Speaker, last week the Labour Party lost Margaret Madonna, our first female General Secretary, and a trailblazer in every sense of the word. Margaret provided guidance, leadership and loyal friendship to so many in the Labour movement. And it wasn't long after I started in this job that Margaret was at my door, and I will be forever grateful for the advice and support that she gave me. We will all miss her terribly. Mr Speaker, his party spent thousands of pounds on adverts attacking plans to build 300,000 new homes a year. At the same time, his housing minister says it's Tory party policy to build 300,000 new homes a year. So is he for building 300,000 new homes a year or against it? Prime Minister. Well, Mr Speaker, I can just remind the Honourable Gentleman of our record uh, since being in office. 2.2 million additional homes, Mr Speaker. Housing starts double the number we inherited from the Labour Party, more homes meeting the decent home standards, housing supply up 10% in the last year that we have figures for, and in the last year we had figures for, we also saw a 20-year high in the number of first-time buyers, Mr Speaker. That's a Conservative government delivering for this country. Mr Speaker, it wasn't a difficult question. Uh, So, can he point to a single person in housing, in construction, anywhere, who thinks he'll actually hit his target of 300,000 new homes a year. Anyone? Anyone. Yeah. Prime Minister. 
Mr. Speaker, the record is that in the last three years, we've delivered almost record numbers of new home building in every one of those years. But, but Mr. Speaker, he talks about targets, so let's be clear. I promised to put local people in control of new housing. I delivered on that policy within weeks of becoming Prime Minister. But I am confused from the honourable gentleman because, first, the Shadow Community and Housing Secretary said communities should have control. But then he then said we should get the targets back and disempower local people. I do want to give him some advice. I don't think it's local people that are the problem. It's a Labour Party policy. Mr Speaker, presumably if he could have identified a single person who thought he'd hit his target, he would have told us. And there you have the problem. One minute he says he's for building new houses, the next he's campaigning against them. And the truth is, far from delivering, since he crumbled to his backbenchers and scrapped mandatory targets, house building has collapsed. He knows it, they know it, and every expert is telling them it. Why did he just admit it? He's not going to get anywhere near his target, is he? Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, the, the Honourable Gentleman now claims that he supports house building, especially on the, on the green belt. But unfortunately for him, it's good that he, he agrees that he, he does believe that now, but unfortunately for him, the Shadow Deputy Prime Minister, the Shadow Minister for Women, the Shadow Health, Justice, Defence, Business, Northern Ireland and Scotland Ministers are all united against more house building in their areas, Mr Speaker. I have to say to them, though, Mr. Speaker, I, I would say to them, though, they don't have to worry too much because he's never actually kept a promise he's made. Mr. Speaker, Mr. you can tell from his answer, non-answer, his body language, he's actually given up. He's given up. And his failure isn't just shattering the dream of those who desperately want to own their own home. It's also hitting those who already have a mortgage. Because of their economic chaos, mortgage holders will be £2,900 a year poorer. How can they ever look the British people in the eye again and claim to be the party of home ownership? Minister. Mr. Mr. Speaker, I don't, I don't think he's noticed that his shadow housing secretary doesn't actually agree with his new policy of concreting over the green belt. Mr. Speaker, she's been campaigning against developments in her own constituency. She said she wanted to prevent urban sprawl and provide green space for local people. I think that's quite sensible, but it's classic Labour, Mr. Speaker, saying one thing here, doing another thing elsewhere. You simply can't trust a word they say. At least he isn't claiming they are the party of home ownership anymore, because we are. Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister Minister says he's 100% on it, but his definition of 100% on it is to gently ask the banks to do the right thing. His softly, softly approach refusing to put mandatory measures in place, risk leaving a million households without support. How many will have to lose their homes before he'll stand up for the people his party have pushed into economic misery? Yeah. Right, Minister. Well, 
Mr Speaker, in fact, the vast majority of the mortgage market is now covered by the new mortgage charter that the Chancellor has brought in. That is delivering practical help to mortgage holders, allowing them to extend their terms, switch to interest-only mortgage, and actually saving them hundreds of pounds a month. So instead of scaring them, actually, there is now practical support in place. But it's right that he raised uh, home ownership, Mr Speaker. That's why we, on this side of the House, introduced a 95% mortgage guarantee scheme. It's why we introduced the first homes and shared ownership schemes to get people onto the housing ladder. And crucially, Mr Speaker, it's why we cut stamp duty. So now what we've seen is the highest number of first-time buyers in 20 years, Mr Speaker. That is twice the number that the Labour Party ever managed. Mr Speaker, it's, it's sort of housing crisis. What crisis with this Prime Minister? He must be the only person in the country who thinks that enough houses have been built in the last 13 years. And whether it's those dreaming of getting the keys to their first home or those already with mortgages, the ambitions of families across the country have been crushed by his failing Tory government. House building at its lowest rate since the war because he can't stand up to his own party. A Tory mortgage bombshell because they crashed the economy. Millions left without support because he won't make lenders put families first. Rather than lecturing the rest of the country and holding their nerve, why doesn't he try and locate his? Well, Mr Mr. Speaker, as always, he hasn't actually taken the time to understand the detail of what we're doing. So, uh, again, I'm happy to to explain it again, Mr Speaker, because it's right that we provide support for mortgage owners, which is why we improve the generosity of the support for mortgage interest scheme. It's why we've introduced a new mortgage charter, which, by the way, goes much more farther than the Labour Party policy on protecting mortgage holders does. On house building, we're proud to protect the Greenbelt and invest millions more in developing brownfield sites. Mr Speaker, the simple truth is, that's what I said I would do, and that's what we've delivered, and that is the difference between us. I deliver what I promise, he just breaks his. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Uh, Labour run Kirklees Council's local plan is seeing hundreds of homes built on greenfield sites, but the agreed developer levies, the Section 106 agreements, which are supposedly for local infrastructure spending, seem to be disappearing into a black hole. So does the Prime Minister agree, agree with me that agreed infrastructure levies from developers shouldn't be going into a general slush fund. They should be spent on local roads, local schools and local health services for the communities impacted by those developments. My uh, my honourable friend raises an excellent point, and that's why the government is reforming the Section 106 payment system to ensure that new development is matched by new infrastructure, because the current system sees far too little of the developers' profits going to build new schools, hospitals or transport infrastructure. It's also too slow and played by uncertainties, and that particularly hampers smaller local developers. So it will be replaced by a new non-negotiable local determined infrastructure levy, which will deliver exactly what the honourable gentleman and others want to see, investment in local communities. Stephen Flynn. Mr Speaker, I wish to start by paying tribute to SNP legend Winnie Ewan and Scotland men's national team former manager Craig Brown, who both so sadly passed 
in recent days, and to, to all Muslims who are celebrating Eid Mubarak. Mr Speaker, on Sunday, the Prime Minister patronised the public when he told them that in the face of ever-increasing mortgage bills, that they simply need to hold their nerve. What a nerve. So may I ask him, the near-billionaire, when was the last time that he struggled to pay a bill? Mr Speaker, the reason that mortgage rates are rising is because of inflation, Mr Speaker. That is the root cause, which is why it is absolutely the right policy to tackle halve inflation and reduce it back to target. Now, that does mean that we do have to make difficult decisions. It does mean we have to be patient while the impact of those decisions actually has an impact. But in the meantime, Mr Speaker, as I was explaining previously, we are taking practical steps to support mortgage holders across the United Kingdom, particularly through the SMI scheme and the new mortgage charter. Stephen Flynn. Mr Speaker, that answer confirms what we already know, that this Prime Minister is out of touch and the Tory party is soon to be out of time. And what the public really want is change. But in a week where the Conservative Party and indeed the Labour Party both refused to accept proposals for public sector pay rises, whilst at the same time accepting the economic damage of Brexit, is it not the case that Westminster does not offer the people real change nor real hope? For the future. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Mr. Speaker, just, the honourable gentleman just exposes the key, complete economic illiteracy of the SNP's position. The, the, the first, his first question, his first question, talks about the uh, talks about the challenges posed on ordinary families by higher interest rates caused by higher inflation. What does his next question do? Support a policy that would increase government borrowing and make the situation worse. Mr Speaker, it just demonstrates completely candidly why the SNP's approach to economic management is simply not fit for anyone in the United Kingdom. Mr Speaker, local police stations are a key part of communities such as Aldridge in my constituency, and that's why I continue to make the case to Labour's Police and Crime Commissioner to save and strengthen the role of Aldridge Police Station, not force it to close. So does the Prime Minister agree with me that any such closure would be reckless and Police and Crime Commissioners should be working with local communities and local police teams to provide greater certainty, particularly given the extra 1,376 extra police officers this government has put into the West Midlands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mr. Mr Speaker, I am pleased to hear about the extra police officers that the government has funded in my right honourable friend's community, but I am concerned to hear about the planned closure of Aldridge Police Station. I'd like to thank my right honourable friend for raising such an important issue. I know it's one uh, on which she is championing her constituents. As she will know, unfortunately, this is a decision of the locally elected Labour Police and Crime Commissioner, and I would join her in urging them to think again. Liz Savile Roberts. The Prime Minister's solution to inflation is to push families into poverty while letting corporate profits pile up. Economic illiteracy. The IMF said this week that the way to cut inflation is for companies to cut their profit margins. It's corporate greed fueling inflation, not workers' need for fair pay. Can he explain to the one in five people in Wales facing hunger because they cannot afford to buy decent food, why they must pay his price 
for lowering inflation. Yeah. 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 Well, Mr. Mr Speaker, actually, Moron from the Chancellor met with all the economic regulators this morning, and uh, they'll be making an announcement later about their plans to ensure fairness of pricing and supply chains to ease the burden on consumers. But I'm glad she brought up the IMF when it comes to tackling inflation, because actually the IMF, in their words, strongly endorsed our plan to halve inflation, and they called our steps both decisive and responsible. Jonathan Lord. Mr Speaker, uh, as my right honourable friend knows, I have been liaising closely with the Department for levelling up housing and communities and with the Treasury with regard to the terrible news of Woking Council's recent Section 114 notice. Would my right honourable friend agree with me that in this scenario the vulnerable must be protected and that the local councillors of all parties need to work together to try to put the Council's finances back on the right track? Prime Minister. I know my honourable friend is a great champion for his Woking residents, and as he knows, the Secretary of State for Leveling Up has intervened in this authority and appointed commissioners to ensure that decisions are taken that provide the best outcomes for residents, including the most vulnerable and indeed the public purse. I agree with him that local councillors should be working together with the commissioners to put the council's finances in order. The Commissioners will submit their first report to the Secretary of State, setting out progress on the Council's path to improvement and financial sustainability, and I look forward with him to seeing further progress. Sir Christopher Bryant. Thank you. Uh, The Prime Minister has had responsibility for the UK economy now for 1,323 days, and he's delivered. He's delivered the largest national peacetime debt ever the largest tax burden since the Second World War, the highest core inflation since 1991, the fastest interest rate rises since 1989, and the biggest fall in living standards in our history. So will he stop lecturing my constituents about holding their nerve, ditch the lame excuses, and admit that he is literally the worst person to be leading this country through a cost-of-living crisis? Mr. Speaker, Speaker, again, what do we hear from the party opposite? Only ideas that would make the situation far worse, Mr. Speaker. It's as simple as that. The Honourable Gentleman has sat there and supported plans to borrow tens of billions of pounds more. That would make inflation worse. The Honourable Gentleman has sat there and said that we should not stand up to unaffordable union pay demands. That would make the situation worse. And the Honourable Gentleman has sat there and supported plans to not exploit our domestic sources of energy, Mr Speaker, imperilling our energy security. Those are all things that would make not just the situation worse for British families today, but for years into the future. And that's why this Conservative Government will keep doing the right thing to support them. Thank you, Mr Speaker. My constituents rely on many nearby hospitals, Milton Keynes, where this government has committed to a new women and children's hospital, Stoke Mandeville, who has just completed the build of a new children's A&E, but also Wickham, where infrastructure and maintenance issues in the ageing tower is preventing around 2,000 operations a year from going ahead. 
My local trust has a plan for a £200 million new clinical centre at Wickham Hospital. Will my right honourable friend, the Prime Minister, work with myself and Buckinghamshire colleagues to make that a reality? Prime Minister. Well, I thank my uh, honourable friend for his question. Uh, whilst he knows that we are no longer inviting further schemes to join the new hospital programme, I can tell him that in the future new schemes will be considered through the rolling programme of capital investment in, ca- in hospital infrastructure. That will secure the building of new hospitals beyond 2030 and mean future investment to upgrade the NHS estate across the country. Now, future plans for that will obviously be set out in spending reviews and fiscal events, but in the meantime, I know that he will continue to make the passionate case for Wickham Hospital, and I join him in that. Chris Thank you, Mr Speaker. Hundreds of steel workers are outside Parliament today, and some are in the gallery, calling on the Prime Minister to act now to back our vital steel industry before it is too late. So will he confirm today that he will match the ambition of the Labour Party and our international competitors to deliver competitive energy prices, invest in green steel production, use UK steel in our procurement systems and protect us from dirty steel imports by introducing climate measures? And when will he get on with protecting and supporting the industry? Mr. Mr. Speaker, we're proud to support the steel industry and value the contribution that it makes to this country, uh, which is why we've, in, we've put in place the Energy Intensive Industry Scheme that provides hundreds of millions of pounds of support to steel companies with their energy bills. We've also introduced the Industrial Energy Transformation Fund so that companies can apply for capital grants to help them uh, with the transition. We are taking forward plans in the Treasury for carbon border adjustment mechanisms to ensure a level playing field. And it's why, Mr. Speaker, during the pandemic, that I stepped in to support financially a steel company in Wales. Sir James Dudridge. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Despite five years of lobbying, sadly the Commonwealth Parliamentary Association International branch will leave the United Kingdom. Um, Mr Speaker, you know this is a great concern to the House, uh, although perhaps something a little niche for our constituents. It is important. They need special status. The Government haven't granted that by way of a short bill or an amendment to an existing bill. And could the Prime Minister, at this late stage, this month, do something about this? Because otherwise they'll be gone, never to come back. Prime Minister. Well, Mr Speaker, the United Kingdom values the work of the Commonwealth Parliamentary Association. My right honourable friend, the Foreign Secretary, has made clear that he does not want the CPA International to relocate. He's written to them in March to confirm that officials from the SEDO would work with the CPA to find a mutually acceptable solution to the status issue, and I look forward to seeing progress. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Mr Speaker, your constituents and mine I think have been made a promise by the Prime Minister. Inflation at or below 5% by the end of this year. So I want to ask the Prime Minister what will happen if he fails to meet that promise? Will it be yet more ranting on about the Labour Party or will it be the general election my constituents crave? No, Mr Speaker, we we are sticking to the course of bringing inflation down, Mr Speaker. I think what the Labour Party need to understand is that requires making difficult and tough decisions, Mr Speaker. It requires prioritising. It requires being able to say no when people come looking, asking you to borrow more money. Those are the type of responsible decisions that I will make and the Conservative Government will make because they're the right ones for the country. Maybe more. 
Mr Speaker, for over 160 years, Southport Pier has been at the centre of our visitor economy, welcoming visitors from far and wide, including Chorley, Mr Speaker. It stood the tests of time, except for the mismanagement of Labour-controlled Sefton Council, who have closed our pier. Businesses are concerned it will have a huge impact on tourism. Will the Prime Minister condemn these actions and support my campaign and efforts to work with this Conservative Government to get our pier open? Mr Speaker, can I welcome my honourable friend's commitment to the important community assets in his constituency, such as the historic Grade 2 listed Southport Pier. Uh, and I am pleased to say that he is working and succeeded in getting the government to provide £2 million as part of the Coastal Community Fund to undertake improvements in the pier. And that's alongside the landmark £35.5 million town deal for Southport, which is the second largest town deal anywhere in the country. Samantha Dix. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. This is the first opportunity that I've had to put a question to the Prime Minister for the residents of the City of Chester. So, why does the Prime Minister think it's acceptable for sewage to be pumped into the beautiful River Dee that flows through Chester for the next 27 years? Mr Speaker, of course it's not acceptable, and that's why this government has gone further than any other government in tackling this issue, committing to monitor 100% of storm overflows, an investment programme of £56 billion to upgrade infrastructure, and enshrining in law strict targets, as well as introducing unlimited fines for water companies. But when it came to talking about those policies in this House, the party opposite couldn't even be bothered to turn up and vote for them. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Later today, our Parliament will welcome apprentices from around the UK um, who were working in the aerospace industry. And I'm very much looking forward to meeting Callum and Brittany, who are both apprentices in my constituency of Wolverhampton North East at Collins Aerospace. Would he join me in celebrating apprenticeships in the aerospace industry and encourage colleagues to attend and meet their apprentices? Well, can I uh, join with my honourable friend in both celebrating everyone doing an apprentice and encourage everyone to go and uh, meet theirs later on today and pay tribute to Callum and Brittany in particular. Uh, and she's absolutely right to highlight the importance of the aerospace industry, uh, particularly because of our new defence cooperation agreement with Italy and Japan to build a new generation of fighter aircraft. Thousands of new jobs will be created across the country. Many of those will be through apprentices. And that's an example of this Conservative government providing opportunities for the next generation. Imams. Mr Speaker, Prime Minister, last year 1.7 million children missed more than 10% of their schooling. 125,000 children were absent more than they were in school, and a further 140,000 children were missing from formal schooling completely. This is both a safeguarding and an educational catastrophe, and it is happening on the Prime Minister's watch. Yesterday, the Schools Minister told the Education Select Committee that primary legislation was required to initiate a national register for children missing from education so we can find out where they are. 
Will the Prime Minister commit to bringing forward necessary legislation to combat this crisis for our children as a matter of urgency? Well, Mr Speaker, I agree with the honourable gentleman that children missing school is a tragedy and it's incredibly damaging for educational outcomes, uh, which is why during uh, the pandemic and afterwards we invested £5 billion to help children catch up with lost learning. It's important that we continue to deliver on those plans and we will, of course, make sure that we work with the sector to have more children children attending school more often. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Economic recovery and reconstruction will be vitally important to Ukraine when it comes to rebuilding a free and sovereign nation. So will my right honourable friend help galvanise the expertise of our UK's private sector to help strengthen Ukraine's recovery and their economic prospects after this devastating war? Well, Mr Speaker, time and time again, Ukraine has shown its ability to rapidly harness innovation and creativity, and I know that its economic recovery will be no different. And my right honourable friend is absolutely right to highlight that private sector expertise and investment will be critical to that re- uh, recovery. And I was pleased that over 400 world-leading companies pledged to back Ukraine's reconstruction at the very successful recovery conference that the UK hosted the other week. Uh, we're doing our part as well, Mr Speaker, with a $3 billion World Bank loan guarantee on top of all the other investment that we've put in place. And I think what the conference showed is that there's enormous momentum across the world to support Ukraine's recovery, and that recovery and ambition is being led by the United Kingdom. Janet Davy. Mr Speaker, a university student in Lewis Chemise has seen her rent rise by £200 a month due to the mortgage rate increases. She is now at risk of homelessness and she can't return to the family home. She has no choice but to use food banks, even though she has two part-time jobs. Not only is she falling behind in in, uh, her studies, she is falling further into debt and she is falling into depression. What does the Prime Minister say to constituents like mine who are paying the dual price of this government's cost of living crisis and mortgage rents? Yeah. rates crisis. Yeah. Well, Mr Speaker, we've taken significant action to help families across the country, most notably by taxing the windfall profits of energy companies and using that money to pay around half of a typical family, including all of her constituents' energy bills. That support is worth £1,500, Mr Speaker, and I'm pleased that energy bills are forecast for £430 uh, when the price cap resets in a couple of days. But beyond that, there's considerable support for the most vulnerable in our society, including £900 of cost of living payments for those on universal credit and additional support for pensioners for pensioners and, indeed, disabled people, Mr Speaker, and that's what we'll continue to do. Bailey. Speaker, we are heading into the fifth week of Sandwell Labour's refuse strikes. We've had flying pickets, we've had reports of the GMB locking ambulance workers getting out of their depot as a result of their picket lines, and the PCC trying to encourage the police not to police it. Can I ask my right honourable friend to ensure that he convenes a meeting urgently to resolve this? And perhaps he'll join me and tell Labour politicians, particularly one in particular, grow a spine and put people before your paymasters. Very well, don't spoil it now, Prime Minister. (laughs) Well, my honourable friend uh, put it very well, but illustrated exactly the issue. 
because, Mr. Speaker, uh, the Labour Party is unable to stand up to its union paymasters and back our plans to introduce minimum service and safety levels in critical industries. That's a type of practical action that supports working families. It's one that the Labour Party isn't strong enough to actually support. I'm grateful, Mr. Speaker. After events in Russia at the weekend, it is unclear what the future holds for the Wagner Group. But what can never be washed away is the catalogue of crimes they've committed across Africa, the Middle East, and of course in Ukraine. But despite all of that, Mr. Speaker, the government doesn't yet have a permanent cabinet office official to coordinate all of the organs of government to pursue the criminals in the Wagner Group. Will he appoint one? And crucially, will he fund collecting evidence of Wagner Group war crimes that have been committed across the world so that these criminals, no matter what happens, can be brought to justice in future? Mr Speaker, we have consistently condemned the Wagner Group and we carefully monitor their actions in Ukraine and the wider world, as the Honourable Gentleman mentions. Uh, We have designated both the Wagner Group and its leader under our sanctions regime already, and we also support international mechanisms which hold individual mercenaries in the Wagner Group to account for violations of international law. But I also reassure him that we are working very closely with our partners to counter the malign use of such proxies by Russia and more generally across the continent. Paul Brister. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. On Monday night, an illegal traveller encampment was established on Breton Park. On Saturday, the much-loved Breton Festival is due to take place on Breton Breton Park. This House passed legislation that gives more powers to police to tackle these illegal encampments. Will the Prime Minister make it clear today from the dispatch box that he expects police to use those powers on these encampments that blight public spaces and public parks in places like Peterborough? Well, Mr Speaker, we absolutely recognise the misery that unauthorised encampments can cause to local communities, and that's why we've delivered on our manifesto commitment to give police the powers they need to tackle those people on unauthorised encampments who are causing harm. Uh, now, of course, how the police use these powers is an operational matter for chief constables, but we wouldn't have legislated for them if we didn't expect them to use them, Mr Speaker. And I am told that Home Office officials are liaising regularly with the National Police Chiefs Council on this exact matter. Final question, Martin Docker to use. Thank you, Mr Speaker. In the past couple of days, yet again, we have been reminded that a member of the other House was appointed contrary to the recommendations of MI5. And on the Channel 4 film, that even the monarch was actually asked to be involved because Whitehall officials were so opposed, given that they were deemed a security risk to the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. So can I ask the Prime Minister, does he agree with MI5 or with his predecessor that that peer should still be in the other house? Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, for obvious reasons, I'll talk in in more general terms with the House of Lords Appointment Commission, vets, crossbench and party political life peerage nominations to the House of Lords and, where appropriate, seeks advice from government departments and agencies. 
and were a Prime Minister to recommend a peerage against the Commission's formal advice, the House of Lords Appointment Commission has previously undertaken that it would write publicly to the relevant parliamentary select committee. Completes Prime Minister's questions.